Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. My day is just getting better and better, thanks to the guys who, uh, a couple are still sticking around here in the studio, but I've got a great hour coming up uh, with Dr. Uh, David T. Lamb. I know what the T stands for. It's a great story. He is the McRae Professor of Old Testament, Dean of the Faculty at Missio Seminary. And we're going to talk today with Dave about the emotions of God and possibly uh, Jonas. That's what's all going to be happening today. Uh, David has agreed to come back and be on the program at all excited that he's here. David, welcome. Thank you, Bill. It's always my pleasure to join you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and my, my guests who are still in studio, they're, they're fascinated that your middle name is Trout. And I said, <laughs> I said, if I remember correctly, it's your, it was your wife's maiden name. Is that true? <clears throat> that is correct. Yeah. And we, at one point we thought about hyphenating, um, but the whole trout lamb thing was just a little too, <laughs> I don't know, too zoo, zoological for us. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I know that you're... Um, got a book coming out on the emotions of God, which I find absolutely fascinating, and I can't wait to get a copy of it and read it. Um, but for starters, I would love for you to uh, to take us on that journey a little bit, because there are emotions that we read about that God has, uh, jealousy, um, compassion, yeah. love, yeah. Uh, hatred. We read that, and yeah. we start to go, how does this all fit into the big picture of God? Yeah, no, that's great. And this is I'm an emotional person, and you know, um, it's, which is maybe a little bit unusual. Maybe maybe more emotional than some Old Testament professors you might meet, I guess, on the street, I suppose. But um, yeah, I just—I mean, for a long time, I've kind of struggled to know how emotional I can be, I should be, and then it just seemed like in some um, branches of Christianity, at least. Um, God's emotions seem to either be ignored or downplayed, or we just don't know what to do with them. And um, the longer I read the Bible, the more I realized, wow, God is just emotional. And it shouldn't shock us, because we're made in the image of God, and we're emotional. Um, but I just, I've been thinking about it for a long time. And um, anyway, I'm I'm very excited about thinking about both the good emotions and the bad emotions um, uh, that we, um, I say bad emotions, emotions that we don't fully comprehend and may be troubling to us as we see God uh, express them. So yeah, it's been uh, a fascinating subject for me. Okay, let's start um, with compassion, because I I memorize Psalm 103, and the word compassion shows up a lot in Psalm 103. So God has a lot of compassion. I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, we see God's compassion. This is one of the the emotions of God that we all love, um, and we see this. Well, uh, Psalm 20, uh, Psalm one hundred three is a great one. Um, obviously, people are familiar with um, <clears throat> Psalm twenty three. Uh, the Lord is our shepherd; He's looking out for us. He leads us beside still waters. And, um, so. God is a God of compassion, and um, I think hopefully none of m- many Christians are going to be familiar with this. Um, I mean, obviously, in the times that we're living in right now, 
Um, there's a lot of <laughs> turmoil in our country. Um, a lot of this is also fear about, um, you know, COVID and, you know, our loved ones. And we're cut off. Um, I'm teaching on Zoom these days. And so in the midst of times like this, particularly, it's, it is just helpful for us to be remembering that um, God sees us. God knows um, I, the, the, one of the passages I love, I teach the book of Exodus a lot, is God, um, the people of Israel c- cry out in Exodus 2 um, from their oppression under, under Egypt, uh, under Egyptian oppression, the, the, the enslavement that, that Pharaoh brought in. And um, it, it says God hears and sees and remembers and knows um, right there in you know the second chapter of Genesis that God is making it very clear through his word that he knows what his, the, the struggles that his people are going through. And, um, and then, of course, he calls uh, Moses in the next chapter at the burning bush to respond in compassion uh, to his people who are suffering. And I think um, we, we can't talk about this enough, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in times like, like we're in right now. Yeah. I've got a question from a listener, and it's funny because I haven't even opened up the text line to questions yet, and I already have one that's come in. Um, so here it is. So should we seek to take emotions out of a decision or just account for them or include them in the decision? Wow, what a great question. I know. Um, I, I have very smart listeners. Wow, goodness. Um, I think uh, I've actually been doing some reading about this, um, you know, um, more kind of um, uh, uh, secular sources um, of psychological folks that, are, that have thought a lot about this. And I think <laughs> I've got a great quote in my book from, you know, Sherlock Holmes, a classic, you know, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote this 130 years ago or something. Um, and there the, the perception is that emotions, well, are Spock, right, in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Emotions <laughs> lead to bad decisions. Um, and, you know, and that can be true. But I think a lot of research is, is is showing, and I think this is backed up by what we see in Scripture, that um, emotions um, actually can help us um, think uh, rationally and make wiser decisions. I mean, uh, I, 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 I tell the story of um, being on my honeymoon in camping in Yosemite Park, and there was a bear outside our tent. Now, we could have responded overly emotional and started screaming or something, and that could have, you know, the, the bear probably would have just run away. But, you know, these bears can, can be dangerous. But that would have been a, a, a bad expression of emotion. But um, an appropriate expression of emotion was for us to, in while we were afraid, we um, made plans and, you know, we're, we, were, we were doing what we needed to do, but part of it was fueled by our emotional response, which led us to make a better decision than if we had been trying to make come with a, a oh. book with a completely um, uh, rational decision. <laughs> I so really we, we like that. Think of a number, number of examples where emotions um, need to not be completely discounted, but they actually play a role. They, they do, whether we like it or not, they shape what we decide and how we think and not only feel, but think as well. Yeah, I go back and forth a little bit, but now you've got me all excited about emotions. So, 
when, when I, I think of the, the, the reasonableness of the gospel, this incredible message that you can uh, give your life yeah. in exchange for what Christ did on the cross, and you will be given eternal life, from a reasonable standpoint, that's the most reasonable thing I've ever heard. But if I think about it from an emotional standpoint, uh, the idea that I can cross from dead in my sins to alive in Christ instantaneously, I want to start jumping up and down. And, you know, that's totally appropriate. Read, I mean, again, I've been spending a lot of time in the Psalms. I teach a course on the Psalms a lot. The book of Psalms is filled with emotions. Not only, I mean, God's emotions, but humans humans responding to God um, emotionally because of all that God has done for us. And how could we not respond emotionally, uh, just with, as you have expressed so well, you know, because of um, Christ's death on the cross? In fact, the, for us, we can often think about this um, too, too rationally um, in, a, in a way that um, <laughs> one thing I like to talk about is like football coaches at halftime. Football coaches at halftime use emotion and the best football coaches. Now, again, it could be overdone and it can, you know, I'm not talking about being manipulative, but there's a power and an intensity that goes when people are expressing um, uh, intense emotions. And we see God do this in the Bible and the people of God Mm -hmm. do as well. And so we need to make more sense. We need to try to understand this and think about this a little bit. Yeah. Okay, I want to keep uh, talking about these emotions of God. I, can we can we go to now wrath? Because that's a scary one. Okay. Yeah, and I again, I, <laughs> I, I, there was a period of time a while ago where I, it seemed like I was writing a lot about wrath. I was I had to write a I, I mean I had a chapter in one of my books. God behaving badly um, is is God angry um, or. Um, or gracious, or and so I wrote that, and then I wrote another article for a, a Bible dictionary on wrath, and I, I ended up preaching a lot on wrath. And I was I was golfing with some friends one time, and I pulled out my golf club, and then the guy, my friend, um, uh, uh, my friend says to me, my friend Jesse says, Dave, it says wrath on the bottom of your golf club. Flaws <laughs> <laughs> in your clubs, and they were. It's like even your golf clubs say wrath on them. <laughs> So I was kind of the wrath guy for a while, and that's, that's funny. It's a hard. It is a hard, hard emotion, and I think, um, you know, in fact, I think wrath is the the one emotion that um, it, I think it rivals love. If you add up the number of times you associate, um, well, e- either love or wrath are kind of the two emotions that are most frequently associated with the God of the Bible. Um, and it's just so troubling for me. And we see God, um, you know, how he expresses his wrath in certain situations. But the thing for me that Scripture makes it very clear that um, unlike me <laughs> or a lot of us, God um, is slow to anger. And when God gets angry, there's a reason for it. And it's, it's, it's built, been building up over a long period of time. And and God's anger um, comes out against um, injustice and oppression um, or people. A lot of times people taking advantage of other people. And so God's anger is motivated out of his love, by his love. And so these two things um, really go together. But um, it can be troubling to us mm-hmm. um, as we see um, these, some of these expressions of anger in Scripture. 
All right, Dave, let me take a little break. Dr. David Lamb is my guest. We're talking about the emotions of God. If you've got a question, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Dr. David T. Lamb. He's written a number of books. You can always head over to davidtlamb.com to learn more about all of his books and his writings and his blogging. They're all excellent. And we're talking today about the emotions of God, which is a very fascinating topic. I know I have thought about this throughout my whole Christian life, and I love that you're doing something, uh, writing about it, because when, when I hear words like God delighting in me, I want to know what does that mean when he delights in me? I love it. Yeah, yeah. Delight. Um, delight is a really interesting uh, uh, emotion that is associated with God. Um, uh, we also see um, God expressing joy, which is kind of a, a bit of a synonym. Um, <clears throat> you know, I haven't written that chapter yet, so you know, you <laughs> I love to, it. Talk, talk again in a few. No, no um, <laughs> I, I think um, again, it, it shouldn't surprise us that God is a God of emotions and he expresses joy and delight. I mean, uh, the psalmist makes it very clear that we are supposed to delight in his word. Um, in reading his, Psalm 1 talks about this. Psalm 119 talks about people that delight in God's word. Um, but God delights in us. Well, I mean, we, we see it in chapter 1 of Genesis. It's the first chapter in the Bible. Um, God makes, you know, the... Uh, uh, the earth and the sea and the heavens, and um, he creates the, the 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 plants. He creates the animals, and then on day six, he creates the humans. And um, you know everything so far has been good. In Hebrew, the word is tov. Um, so it's he's been everything's been tov, tov, tov. tov you know, and he gets to day, day uh, six when he makes the humans. And he says, oh, this is tov meod, very good. Um, and that word good, it's, it's almost, um, it's a word of delight. It's, it's a word, I mean, a tov is, it's, a, it's, it's, not, it's much better. Good, um, good is a good translation, but it's not a great translation. It's so much more that God has created these two humans in his image, and he just finds great joy and delight in this. And so this is kind of how God introduces the humans. <laughs> you know, we, now, we're messed up and we're fallen. We get to that in Genesis 3. But it's, the Bible begins by God delighting in these humans. It, like a parent mm-hmm. at the birth of, the, of, of a child. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, oh, I mean, I, I wept. When my son Nathan, this is my older son, when was born, there was just something so amazing and wonderful and beautiful, and that's how God feels about his his creation, humans. Yeah. Um, and again, we're messed up, right? But <laughs> God delights yeah. over us. Yeah, I love that. That's a incredibly powerful 
picture. Um, so thanks for sharing that with us. Let's talk about another word that gets uh, to be kind of a, a tricky one for a lot of people when they hear about God being a jealous God. Is biblical jealousy the same kind of jealousy that human jealousy is? I can't imagine it is. Well, um, I, I mean, again, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously, um, I think all of us are aware of a, um, of a negative form of jealousy, the 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 wife or husband um, who um, doesn't want their spouse even to talk to somebody of the opposite sex or, you know, I don't know that we're always, when a spouse is always kind of worried um, about, you know, your, your, um, you know, your, your husband or wife out talking to somebody. Um, And there's behind that jealousy is just an intense um, distrust of what your spouse could will be doing should be doing um but um there's a a really a fantastic quote um by augustine um and he almost he often gets misquoted because the quote is just so provocative augustine says he who is not jealous does not love People often leave out the the jealous, the not. He who is jealous does not love, which kind of makes sense to us on some level, and you get that. But that's not what Augustine actually said. (laughs) He who is not jealous does not love. There is something that's totally appropriate for God to want relationship with his people. And there is a type of jealousy that, for me with my wife, that— is legitimate when um, there is a threat to our marriage. Mm-hmm. And because I value our marriage, and maybe it's a guy who I think is um, being too, um, I don't know, flirtatious or something with my, my wife, or if I, you know, I'm, I'm worried that, you know, she's a little too friendly with someone. It's appropriate for me because I love her and I love the relationship and I don't want to do anything to endanger it. For me to feel appropriate levels of jealousy, and that is the type of jealousy that God has towards his people. Um, God introduces himself and says, um, you know, uh, in uh, in Exodus, I am am a a, a jealous God. (laughs) Part of the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Um, and, And in Exodus 34, the Lord, whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. <laughs> and um, we, we're uncomfortable with this. We need to talk about this is the good type of jealousy, the jealousy that is appropriate and really deeply, profoundly values the relationship and doesn't want there to be things that threaten it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, we need to think more about this and um, you know, defining appropriate and inappropriate types of jealousy, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. David, maybe you would now address divine hatred. Yeah, I, I find um, hatred almost the most problematic of all of the divine emotions. Um, uh, it's, um, it's deeply troubling to me. Um, uh, in well, one of the places I like to talk, I start is in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the poem of chapter three. Um, you know, there's a time for everything, 
uh, a time for love, time for peace, etc. But also a time to love and a time to hate. And, you know, there's a lot of things in that chapter that we can feel very excited about, comfortable with. Um, but what does it mean to hate? And um, as we look at the God of the Bible, um, and we don't, we see more of this, I think, in the Old Testament. Um, we don't really see, um, I mean, Jesus tells us that we need to, um, in the context of following him, we need to hate things that are going to get in the way. Um, we need to make our pursuit of Jesus the, such a number one priority that other things like family or even our own life, it can appear to be hatred. Um, but in the Old Testament, God talks about hating pride. He hates divorce. He hates robbery. He hates violence. He hates evil. He hates wickedness. God hates things that harm people mm-hmm. because he loves people. Mm-hmm. And so once again, we see God's hatred as being motivated by his love. Um, and it, it, if if God didn't feel very strongly um, uh, opposed, if he wasn't very strongly opposed to things that hurt other people, we might say, well, does he really love, um, does he really love if he, if he doesn't really want to stop things that harm people? Um, and, and yeah, and so it, it's uncomfortable to me. Um, and there's a lot more that we could perhaps say about this, but um, as we look at the places where God hates, there's a consistent pattern that it's, he is hating things that are harming people. Mm-hmm. And of course, so uh, love is the one that is what God is absolutely, when we think of God, we think of love. And we, we're always told, as we read Scripture, we're, we're reminded that God is love and that we hope that we can understand the depth and breadth, breadth of His love. So it seems like it's one of the things that's really hard for believers to get their arms around completely except when we look at yeah. the cross and go, okay, let's start at the cross and go. Yeah. He, he left the elite status of heaven and, and came down as a man and went to the cross to die for my sins. That's, I, there's no yeah. greater love than that. But to understand this emotion uh, and God's emotion of love, um, it's a big one. It's the biggest one out there. Yeah, and again, uh, books um, have been written about the love of God. And um, what I, when, as I think about it, I'm, I'm trying to think about it as really, in some ways, the apex of all of these emotions. And again, wrath and love are the two that, as in my, my own research, that seem to be associated with God the most. Um, fortunately, hatred doesn't show up a lot um, because it, it's just, for me, it's just so troubling. But as I look at God's hate and God's wrath and God's jealousy and God's um, sorrow or um, regret, well, and even in his delight, all of these, I see behind them this profound love. Mm-hmm. Um, let's uh, talk about, as you said. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that after the break. I'm up against a hard break, so sure. we're going to have to disappear here for 90 seconds. But uh, David T. Lamb is my guest. We're talking about the emotions of God. When we come back, we're going to continue that. But also, I want to talk about the prophet Jonah. Be right back.
Nice to have Dr. David T. Lamb on the program this afternoon. He is a, a professor of Old Testament and also dean of the faculty at Missio Seminary, which is out in Hatfield, Pennsylvania, which means you're an hour ahead of us, David. Speaking of dinner, have you had yours yet? <laughs> I'm eating during the commercials. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, Actually, what is for we, dinner? We, re- we reloke. Um, oh, I had a sandwich. Um, my wife was gracious enough to get me a sandwich a little bit early tonight. Nice. But, oh, it was very good. But good. we have relocated from Hatfield, actually, into the city of Philadelphia. Oh, awesome. So we, um, I, I, people may not have heard of Hatfield, but I'm pretty sure they've heard of Philly. So, yeah. And online e-learning right now? Yeah, we're, t- we're teaching on Zoom. Okay. Um, yeah, we've been doing that since mid-March. And, um, it, you know, I just love being with students face-to-face to see people and, you know, and whatever, you laugh, cry, weep, sing, um, do everything in the same room with people. So it's, it's pretty limiting, but, um, we're, you know, we're trying to, trying to stay safe. And so everything's on Zoom right now. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to someone who says, I, I know God loves me, but how am I supposed to, to feel that? Because I don't, I don't feel any love for God. So uh, any, any recommendation for this listener? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's it's hard. I think um, maybe two things I would say. Um, uh, you know, any any time. I mean, I teach the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament, but anytime I have a choice, I'm going to re- recommend people reading the Gospels mm-hmm. because me, seeing Jesus, meeting Jesus, reading about his life how he cared for people, how he loved everybody. He loved the religious leaders that wanted to kill him. <laughs> yep. You know, he, he loved lepers, um, people with demons. Um, you know, he was, he's just spent, um, and so I think to, uh, I would recommend, you know, reading through the Gospels, you know, if, you, if you're a little bit more, um, you like uh, um, something that's more poetic, um, a lot of figurative language, maybe go with the book of John. If you like something that's a little bit more action-packed, a little bit more terse, read the book of Mark. But any of the Gospels, I think, is a, is a good place um, to go. And the other thing I would just say is, um, if, if someone is feeling really kind of not feeling the love of God, there's... Uh, to, and I would encourage, I try to do this myself, I don't always follow this advice, but try to find somebody who needs love more than you and love them. Mm. And I think there's something powerful that happens when we love another person. I mean, you know, get sharing the love of God with others um, helps us connect to God and ultimately experience God's love. I mean, there's just a, a lot of places in Scripture that says as we care for others, as we love other people. Um, God will love us and connect with us. And I think, um, and that's hard, you know, with your, when you're discouraged or feeling cut off or feeling isolated. Um, but yeah, to um, go out and find somebody who needs love more than you do and love them. And I think in that you will experience the love of Jesus. Mm-hmm. All right. I so appreciate the discussion on the emotions of God. I'd like to uh, switch gears just here a little bit. And talk sure. about uh, the book of Jonah, because I've got an Old, uh, Old Testament professor here, and, and I really <laughs> love the book of Jonah, and there's plenty of God's emotions in the book of Jonah. 
But it seems to me, Dave, that there most of the the prophets. Um, when we read these books, we find out what are God's words through the prophets. But the Book of Jonah is actually about the prophet himself. Yeah, it's kind of unusual. We don't get much. Um, kind of biographical information. We get a little bit more on Isaiah, maybe even a little bit more in um, in uh, uh, Jeremiah. And obviously the first half of Daniel, we get a lot of kind of... Um, but Jonah, most of the pro- prophetic books, uh, it's just there's a lot of poetry and a lot of just these oracles. God speaks. But Jonah, Jonah is kind of a strange bird. <laughs> I mean, kind of a nasty guy, isn't he? He really is. Okay. Um, but you know what? This is one of the things I love about it, that um, Scripture is not afraid to make the main char- the Jewish main characters look bad. <laughs> and mm-hmm. J- Jonah does not look good here. Um, yeah. So we, I, know, I, uh, I, I know that a lot of listeners know and love the story of Jonah, but I, I just love having you to talk about it with me today. It comes out pretty clear that Jonah had a word of the Lord to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness had come up before me. And then we're already in verse 3, and he is already running away from the Lord and, and heading in another direction. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, it's hard to know all of why Jonah felt this way, but we, we do know some things that, that, that maybe that the book of Jonah itself doesn't give us information about. But um, if you turn in your Bibles, um, anyone who's listening, who, you know, not if you're driving, but, um, but um, you, you turn to um, 2 Kings um, chapter 14, during the reign of Jeroboam II now, there's this prophet, Jonah, uh, uh, um, 2 Kings 14, 25. Um, Jeroboam gets a prophecy from Jonah Son of Amittai. It's the same Jonah in, uh, that um, is in the book of um, in the book of Jonah, and he gives a prophecy to Jeroboam that it's like you're going to expand your borders, everything is going to go well, um, and um, God. And the next verse tells us that God was compassionate, not surprisingly, um, for His people, kind of like He was compassionate towards the Israelites in the book of Exodus under Egyptian oppression. Um, God was compassionate, and but God spoke to Jonah saying, hey, um, under Jeroboam, the, the borders are going to expand, and things are going to get a lot better. So Jonah is a clearly a problem, and he was, you know, he was happy about this. He was, he loved his country, okay? And there's, you know, it's, it's good to love your country, um, but one of the problems was the Ninevites, and Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Um, Assyria was a, a nasty empire, and Jonah Jonah's desire to not go to Nineveh was, to a large extent, fueled because he hated the Assyrians, the Ninevites, because he knew that the Ninevites wanted to destroy, and eventually they did destroy the the, north, the northern kingdom of Israel. So there's um, there's a reason why Jonah does not want Nineveh to repent, because he wants Nineveh to be crunched, to be crushed, mm-hmm. to be destroyed. Um, and so I think that at least played a big role in his decision to, 
flee from the presence of the Lord, which uh, we know from Psalm 139, where can we go? <laughs> we can't. But, you know, Jonah doesn't know that, or apparently didn't know that. Yeah. Um, D- Dave, when, when uh, Jonah talked to King Jeroboam, didn't then the prophet Amos come along and sort of correct the vision and sort of co- give it a counter to what Jonah said? Didn't he sort of Amos come in and correct him? Um, well, uh, okay, yeah. What um, Amos does offer, yeah, no, that's a great point. So, you know, we go, we go over to the book of um, Amos, um, and he does offer a, a corrective to um, to Jeroboam. Um, again, there, so there, it's kind of funny. Jeroboam's kind of got both this this Jonah who gives him kind of this good, this great word, mm-hmm. and the borders. And then Amos comes along and says, um, you, you know, what is going on during the time of Jeroboam's reign is not good. And you need to repent of uh, oppressing people. And so the, it was almost like the, the time of prosperity that, that came about because God allowed them to expand their borders also led to a time of, of, of great injustice that the prophet Amos had to come back and repu- um, and rebuke the leaders um, and and the people for not caring for the poor, um, like the Book of Amos talks about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we look at this episode of Jonah getting on the ship and heading uh, for Tarshish, and then we we learn that he uh, the Lord sent a great wind. And then we learn that the Lord sent a, a huge fish. I mean, there's lots of sending that God is doing uh, yeah. to sort of <laughs> to sort of yeah. love Jonah along the way. Yeah, God does a lot of sending. No, that's good, Bill. You 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 know your book, you know your Bible. Which is, it's always fun to talk to somebody that knows their Bible as well as you do. Um, uh, yeah, I just studied Jonah. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you, 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 you're, you're, it's pretty clear that you, you know your Bible, which it's, it's just, it's really great. Um, Got to get that in writing. Yeah. <laughs> Bill uh, Arnold knows his oh, Bible. Oh, thank you, David T. Lamb. Thank you. Um, All right. Mm. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's amazing how, I mean, I really see the book of Jonah as a, a way that God is trying to teach, to train, to... Um, disciple, really, his prophet, who is not in a good place. And I think we we do need to just remember that God sometimes is mean. Um, And if God is mean to, well, you know, look at the people, Abraham, (laughs) Moses, David, um, you know, God allows bad things to happen to his people in order to serve a greater good. I don't know how that makes him um, mean, though. I don't know if I understand that well, that use of that word. Oh, it's just—I mean, just the, the fact that um, he, uh, you know, throws this storm. Oh, okay, okay. And and then you know, and ends up. I mean, obviously, the whale or fish. Right. Um, um, there are, there are other ways that God could have done this, <laughs> right? Um, and it looked like you know, I mean, Jonah says, you know, well, just throw me into the sea, and you know, he's maybe he's assuming he's going to die. I don't know, but um, yeah, that God often allows um, bad things, hard things, difficult things to come to his people. And, um, but so, yeah, God is sending the, 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 the wind and the storm, and then he sends a fish, and then he, well, he, he does a few more sends. He sends a, 
uh, a plant and a wind and a few other things in chapter four. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's that's a, a big theme that God. Well, God, I would say God uses nature, um, his crea- his creation, in order to send messages here to Jonah and um, to his people mm-hmm. more generally. Yeah, that's a great point. And you look at these ragtag bunch of sailors on this boat who were pagans, and they're all worshiping their own gods, going, let's do what we can, worship your God. That's, you know, and they're they're wondering to Jonah, who is your God you worship? And then he shows up with this kind of this swagger going, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. It's like, whoa. It seemed like he was yeah. trying to offer all this swagger, and I'm thinking this is uh, um, this is an odd time to be sharing all this. It is. It really is. And I, I think one of the things that I love about this story here is you have this guy Jonah, who is an Israelite, right? He's a prophet. You know, mm-hmm. He spoke to Jer- Jeroboam, but the real amazing. Um, characters, the heroes, really, of the end of chapter one of Jonah, are these foreign sailors. They are amazing. They, you know, the, you know, he, Jonah tells them this, and they're like, what should we do? And, um, you know, and he, he um, uh, Jonah says, throw me into the sea. But they don't. They rode really hard. They could have just thrown it. They could have just done jo- what Jonah said. Um, um, and, and then they, they cried out, and again, it says to the Lord, but yeah, in Hebrew, that's, they cried out to Yahweh, please, oh, this is the God of Israel. They're crying out to the God of Israel. Hmm. Don't let us perish. Um, um, and oh, Yahweh, you have done as, what, as it pleased you. Um, so, but they are doing all that they can to save, even though Jonah is risking their lives because of his disobedience. Um, they are doing all that they can. And then finally, when they have no other resort, they throw Jonah into the sea. But I, I just, it's amazing that these foreigners are viewed so positively, um, in, I mean, even before the conversion that we see in chapter 3 of Jonah. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's such a great story. Yeah, I love it. Let me take a little break. Dr. David Lamb sure. is my guest, professor of... Old Testament at Missio Seminary in Pennsylvania, in Philly. Take a short break. Be right back. David Lamb is my guest, Old Testament professor. So I think, David, we had a little bit of um, um, response, backlash from the word mean. So um, <laughs> a, uh, a listener. Yeah, no, I, I, a yeah I mean, I'd be happy to, to clarify that. Um, again, uh, God's behavior doesn't always make sense to us. And sometimes it seems like it's, it's mean. Um, well, I, 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 you could call this tough love. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it doesn't always feel nice. I think that's true. Well, both parents that um, you know decide that they need to to ground a child or somehow punish a child because their behavior is inappropriate. I think that's how God treats Jonah here 
Um, and that God treats us in, uh, often, uh, you know, throughout throughout, script, throughout Scripture and in our own lives. That so I don't, you know, um, yeah, it seems I, mean, but it's really ultimately tough love. Well, I think of Revelation three nineteen that says, "I rebuke and punish all whom I love. Be in earnest yeah. and turn from your sin." And when That's I think about quote. rebuke and punish, those are scary words coming from the, the God yeah. of heaven towards towards me. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, that's a good clarification. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it was just the point was the mean was kind of a, a word that was troubling. Um, and the comment was it's uh, very dangerous for us to wish God would conform to the image of our liking. God is God and we need to be silent and in awe of him in every respect. Um, yeah. If there's a problem, I think, I think it's the sinner who should claim ownership, not God. No, and I think that's good, um, and, and I think that's a really good that we need to be, you know, who are we, the, the potter, just, right. you know, just can the potter say to the clay, hey, why have you made me thus? Um, although, I will do just a little tiny pushback, we do see a lot of times in Scripture where really key people of God question what God has done. Um, the psalmist does this um, well, <laughs> Psalm 22, I mean, there's a quote, quote I, uh, a reference I, I, I mention a lot. So, um, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's mm-hmm. Psalm 22. Jesus quotes on the cross, obviously, but, um, but Abraham, Moses, David, and the psalmist repeatedly, well, and even Jonah here, um, question God. And so God is not threatened by my difficult questions. In fact, there's, God invites us. Now, not 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 um, not like the Israelites in the wilderness, where there's like no there's there a complaining and a questioning that's that comes out of a distrust, but a, a questioning that really comes in the context of relationship that something that doesn't make sense. God's behavior is is confusing to us, and I think it's appropriate following the language of the psalmist and Moses and Abraham and all these other oh, and Jesus on the cross to be able to say, you know, God, this doesn't make sense to me. Help me understand this. God, you know, why it seems, why are you forsaking me? Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's um, something to think about. And I, too, I think of uh, the end of Psalm 88, where Heman is basically saying, I'd rather be asleep than in your presence. I'd rather just be alone. Look what you've done to me. Look what you've taken from me. And if you were to come up to Heman and say, does it feel to you that God is being mean? I bet Heman would say, yeah. I mean, that's just oh, a yeah. human emotion, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's again, the Psalms are full of these emotions. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, Psalm 88 is, it's, it's a dark, it's in some ways perhaps the darkest Psalm. And yet God has authorized it. Um, he said, this, I, I, this is my word. And this is a prayer that you can pray and you know, in the language of, of Paul, he inspired it, right? And it, it's all, all scriptures inspired and profitable for teaching, as is Psalm eighty-eight. Even this one that you know, you have caused friend and neighbor to shun me. My companions are are darkness, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and that's that's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's a lot of a lot of hard questions in scripture that um, you know, again, it depends on your your kind of what's the heart behind it. Right. But if if you're Talk if you're in prayer to God, that you you are still communicating. God, I trust you, and I, I, I just doesn't make sense to me. But I'm going to continue to seek you out and make try to ask you to help me comprehend what is happening in my life in this world. Mm-hmm. So, Dave, uh, Jonah finally decided to obey 
the word of the Lord. He did go to Nineveh. Nineveh, I guess, was a big enough city that it probably was a three-day walk to get to the center. He only walks yeah. one day and then gives maybe, what, the lamest sermon of all? Five, you know, but it but it was but it was short. <laughs> it was short, like seven words. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. He's clearly not eager for these um, Ninevites, these Assyrians, to repent. Um, and yet, obviously, God was doing something in their hearts, right? I mean, the text doesn't say that, but it's it's pretty clear that. Um, God's spirit somehow was at work that this from this reluctant prophet who you know his you know seven word you know we we can we count count it kind of in Hebrew you know and um, but it's it works somehow so God is clearly um doing something um in his words and God has prepared these Ninevites to receive this message and can there is not a better example of of repentance in scripture perhaps i mean you know even the um you know the uh the the, the parable of the prodigal son this the son that comes back he still feels like he's kind of well maybe my father will hire me he still kind of wants to earn something mm-hmm. um but this is just it's just there a, a fast um, the, everybody's fasting. They're all wearing sackcloth. No one's eating. Um, maybe God, and they're putting sackcloth on their animals. You know, I, just, <laughs> I love this. I do too. Humans and it's a great detail. Bovine contrition. It's you know, it, it works, right? So, um, it, it, but it's amazing. Um, and God sees, has compassion. Mm-hmm. They turned from their evil, and He changed His mind. Uh, which is another kind of confusing thing for some of us. But, yeah, because that's what he wanted. He wanted, because of his compassion, his love for these um, these foreigners, God wanted them to repent. Mm-hmm. Now, Jonah had gone through not one, let's not remember one, but two episodes of wanting to end, have his life end. Yeah, yeah, It's remarkable really in four chapters that we've got two uh, desires to not be alive. You know, and I think one of the things that, um, you know, I, I, I sometimes teach counseling students. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a counselor. People are like, what? You teach counseling? No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, the, the counseling students need to have a course in the Bible at our seminary. So okay. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but, um, and we talk about this. Uh, well, and, and Elijah kind of does something similar in 1 Kings 19 that Jonah you know, says, throw me into the sea in chapter one. And then he, he says it a couple times, basically, you know, it's better for me to die than to live in chapter four. And I think um, it's good for people that are struggling. And a lot of folks are struggling. Um, and it's, this is the, you know, December, it's the darkest time of the year for a lot of people. We, we all, m- many of us know people who have COVID or have had COVID or been affected. Some of us know people who've died from COVID. We're just, we're all kind of cut off and isolated and we're just really discouraged. It can be a, a despondent, even depressing time for many people. And to just be able to see, oh, well, Jonah was kind of depressed here and, you know, almost suicidal, but God, 
God is still working with him mm-hmm. and talking with him and helping him. And, you know, it's, it's kind of what I was saying before. God wants Jonah to care for the Ninevites. And there's something healing and wonderful about, well, it's really, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's love your enemy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there's something wonderfully therapeutic for people in a dark place yeah. to give themselves somehow to people yeah. who are, well, enemies. And it's interesting that it, it, we leave the chapter with basically, you know, is it right for you to be angry? And, you know, it's a great question for all of us to ask, you know, if is it right yeah. for us to be angry? Um, God is in control for sure. And uh, it's so... David, I, I appreciate you coming on the show today. We're out of time, but I want you to get okay. back to your, your sandwich and your dinner and your evening <laughs> with your family. So thank you for taking the time and coming on the program. My You're always a delight My to pleasure. talk to you. I, uh, I always really look forward to the times you come on the show. Well, my pleasure, Bill. Thank you so much. You bet. Dr. David T. Lamb has been my guest. You can head over to davidtlamb.com to see his good-looking picture and also to uh, learn about his writing and his books. He's got some blogs and some great articles. You can also head over to Amazon.com if you want to do uh, get a preview chapter of one of his books. That wraps up our show for the night, and I'm so glad we had this time together. Thank you for the wonderful input you gave me today. I've had some great questions and comments. I love you all. Have a great night, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.